Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Okay, so we're going to look at actually five revivalists tonight with a few minutes on each. Um, and some of the, the people who were part of the God's Generals group are going to share for just a couple of minutes some little nuggets that they um, have been impacted by. And with each of them, maybe not all of them, there'll be an, uh, an opportunity for impartation and for, for you to step into some of the things that these people walked in. Um, the first person, if you could just switch it over to the, the lectern thing. Great. The first person we're going to look at is a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Not everybody, not everybody, but quite a few, which is great. He was a plumber in Bradford, uneducated, a very, very um, blunt, often would appear rude, but he had this incredible deep compassion. He raised a number of people from the dead. That was the level of his gifting in terms of healing ministry and in terms of evangelism, seeing people saved. He had a worldwide ministry. He impacted for God an incredible amount of people, and he left an incredible legacy um, that even today we kind of can't really get our heads around some of it. Okay, so we've got a couple of people that... Oh, okay, quick, quick, one of his stories. Um, he he had a, a pastor friend, and the pastor friend was in a wheelchair because he had had... Um, I think he was, uh, he was born without legs, so he was in a wheelchair. Um, Wigglesworth went around to visit the pastor friend and said... Go to the shoe shop tomorrow. And the pastor friends are like, what? And he thought Wigglesworth was actually joking. That night, the pastor friend with no legs had a dream, and God reinforced that he should go to the shoe shop. The pastor friend goes to the shoe shop the next day, wheels himself in in the wheelchair, and, and, he, and the, the shopkeeper says, I'm not sure I can help you, sir. And he said, I want some shoes. And he's like, well, not sure I can help you. I want some shoes. He says, well, what size do you want? He says, um, I don't know, size eight. So he goes and gets a couple of black shoes, size eight. The pastor tries one on. Leg grows out of the stump to the right size of the shoe. Then he tries the other shoe on his stump. Leg grows. And he wheels his own wheelchair out of the shop. And uh, the shopkeeper was... Pretty impressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got a couple of people that are going to share in terms of um, kind of a link to, to Wigglesworth. So we've got Pat first. Pat, could you come and share briefly, please? And then we've got Brian, who's going to step up after that. Sorry, it may look as though I've got a lot, but I haven't really, and I'm going to be quick. It's just that each book has got stories in, and if I don't have time to read bits of them, I can look at the pictures and they'll remind me of what's inside. Whoa, she. Ah. Oh. Um. He. She. Um. Um. I've asked the Holy Spirit to take over so I don't get in the way and waste time. So, and I trust you'll do that. So if I start to waffle, and I'm really sorry, I don't want to waffle. Um, I can't mention Smith Wigglesworth 
uh, without mentioning Corrie ten Boom, because Corrie ten Boom was so instrumental in me um, coming to the Lord. Um, so I met her first. She was my first general. So I just want to quickly say a very um, a quick synopsis of, of Corrie. Now, her catchphrase was, Jesus is Victor. And I'm sure most of you know Corrie ten Boom. The hiding place, Jews doing the war. Yeah, incredible. There's so many books written, um, even since she's not been with us. They, they keep finding sermons hidden. Um, so her catchphrase was, Jesus is Victor. And um, a lot of her ministry was about forgiveness. Because of her experiences in the, in the, uh, the Ravensbrook, the prisoner of war camps, and, um, and the atrocities that happened, and through the encouragement of her sister Betsy, that didn't survive the concentration camp, but Corrie did, um, but th through the encouragement of Betsy, Corrie learned not to hate, but to love. And that goes through every, every, every book, every page of her ministry. But I just wanted to mention her because, um, to me, she's a, she was my first general. <laughs> and there are so many similarities um, initially with Corrie and Smith because neither of them got involved in huge ministries, huge buildings. They were very um, much pilgrims going out there to, you know, to, uh, to be servants of the Lord. Um, and neither of them got involved in money. Smith didn't, and neither did Corrie. Um, in fact, in one of her books, it was it was, it was saying with Corrie that um, um, initially, obviously, it was very difficult when she came out of the concentration camp because um, she had to start tramping for the Lord. But when she had got established and she had a, a group of people organising her films and books, she never mentioned money. They dealt with it all. She didn't have to. It was all taken care of. So it wasn't her focus. Her focus was Jesus. Um, that's enough about Corrie, but I, I just wanted to um, bring her in because her phrase was Jesus is Victor, which runs through all of her ministry. With Smith Wigglesworth, it was only believe, time and time again. But, um, yeah. Um, and there were so many stories. The one we've heard tonight about Smith Wigglesworth and the legs. I mean, there, there are so many stories of the miraculous with Smith, but he had a very different start to life to Corrie, but they both had very loving families. Um, Corrie inherited, um, oh, I won't go back to Corrie, sorry, I was going to, but I won't. Um, Smith Wigglesworth, from a very young age, I think he was seven when he had to go to work um, because the family needed the money. He was born before Corrie, he was earlier on, um, and the family needed the money, so he never had an education. Um, and it was through his um, relationship and marriage to Polly, his, his wife, who um, was, must have been incredibly sensitive to his needs um, and could see in the future what he'd be doing because she taught him to read, but apparently never taught him to spell. Not that that's really important, is it? It's the, um, but um, just one of the things in... One last point, sorry. Smith, it's just the... A couple of interpretation of tongues for Smith, because um, they're powerful. This is one, the plan of the Spirit. This is what God has declared, freedom from the law 
If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Wake you who sleep and allow the Lord to wake you into righteousness. The liberty with which God has set you free. God has made you free to enlarge others who are bound. Um, I mean, there are many, but I know my, I know my time is up. But, um, yeah. Yay. <laughs> Do you know what I love is that actually she, um, Pat could have could have spoken for like half an hour the all of the little post-it notes and things and and part of being being part of this course it's stirring stuff it's stirring a hunger to find out more and more and there there are there are lots of books <laughs> where you can find out more and more but thank you so much um brian do you want to All right, yes. Um, this is just short, but I, I, I was uh, thinking with Smith, with Smith Wigglesworth that perhaps the thing that came over to me um, as I was reading and watching uh, videos of him was, how shall I put it, it was his incredible devotion. He was constantly in prayer. I mean, constantly in prayer. And he was always reading the Bible. And he... He had a Bible that he carried around with him, and he read it not less than four times a day. And I think there's a lesson there. Um, there's something for us to learn there. A friend, uh, there was a, a snip on YouTube of a chap who met him, and um, he was talking and saying how he'd wanted to meet him for some time and to get to know him a bit. And he went to the house. He eventually got an appointment. It was difficult to get an appointment to see him. And he went to the house. And uh, his wife saw him in, and Smith was sitting in this large sort of front room type room in a, a, a high chair. And uh, he, he sort of walked in and he said, uh, hello, sit down. And uh, he says, we're going to pray. And he said, they then proceeded to pray. And they prayed for an hour. And then they stopped and he said, right, we're going to read the Bible. So they read the Bible, and they read the Bible for an hour. And then he said, we're going to pray. And so they prayed for another hour. And then they read, they read the Bible for another hour. And then he said, uh, I think you needed to pray. Good afternoon. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yay. We actually had a word of knowledge tonight about um, single-mindedness, like, a, like things that, that were on the forefront of your mind and there was like a discrepancy about other things that were in your mind and it was as if God was saying, hey, I want to bring a single-mindedness um, about you tonight. And I just wonder whether there's anyone that wants to, to respond to um, an invitation in history that says, do you know what? Um, there's something about wanting to raise the dead and see legs grow that, um, that shock, shock shopkeepers. <laughs> There's something about uh, the boldness of God that where you can take a dead body and, and throw it against a wall because you know that that dead body is supposed to come back to life. No matter what everybody else in that, 
in that room is thinking, you don't care because there's a single-mindedness about you that goes, I've been called to believe, to only believe. And that's who Smith Wiggles was. was. So I just want to invite you to put your hands out. And if this is something that you want uh, to improve in right now, we just say, come Holy Spirit, would you give us a single-minded devotion to hunger after your word, to meet you in prayer, to, to just choose to believe you. Is there anything that we've just not been believing God for that tonight we just get to go, do you know what, God? I'm just going to believe. So we thank you for the life of Smith Wigglesworth and we honor his courage and his boldness and his compassion for the poor and his generosity towards the widow and the orphan and his courage to step out when everyone else thought he was mad and his absolute devotion to you, Jesus. And we say, God, would you do it again in us? Would you impart some of that same spirit that he had (laughs) that leads us into some of the things that he did as well? In Jesus' name. Okay, so the next person we're going to look at is John G. Lake. Anybody heard of John G. Lake? Good, good. Okay, he was actually a Canadian, but lived most of his time in America. Um, Had an incredible healing ministry, but to the point where he was not afraid to challenge the medical and the scientific community to, like, you know, look under a microscope while I pray, and you'll see these these diseased cells um, die, right? as I speak, as I pray. Um, so he, he kind of like showed in a number of test conditions all of these things, and the power of God, um, where there was a plague broke out, and yet he was completely immune because the plague cells would just die in his hands. Um, he set up uh, some healing rooms in Spokane, Washington, and um, had an incredible healing ministry. Like it was something like 100, was it 150,000 people that were, um, were healed over his short ministry. Um, thousands of churches were set up, and the numbers are just crazy. So we have Lynn, who's going to share briefly about... Yeah. I think the one thing that uh, struck me about all these people was that actually they were normal in lots of ways. They succeeded and they failed. Um, and I was reading the collected works of John G., and there's, there was stuff in the book that wasn't in the general's book, but um, I love this bit. And he says, one day I sat talking to Father Seymour in Los Angeles. I told him about the following an incident in the life of Elias Latwaba, one of our native preachers in South Africa. I went to his house one day in the country and his wife said, he's not home. A little baby is hurt and he's praying for it. So I went over to the native hut, got down on my knees and crawled inside. I saw Latwaba kneeling in a corner by the child. I said, Latwaba, it's me. What's the matter with the child? He told me the mother had been carrying it on her back in a blanket as natives carry their children, and it fell out. He said, I think it hurt its neck. I examined the baby and saw that its neck was broken. It would turn from side to side like the neck of a doll. While Latwaba, the baby's neck is broken. 
This is the bit. I did not have faith for a broken neck, but poor old Atwaba didn't know the difference. I saw that he did not understand. He discerned the spirit of doubt in my soul, and I said to myself, I'm not going to interfere with his faith. He will just feel the doubt generated by all the old traditional things I have learned. So I will go outside. I went to another hut and kept on praying. I lay down at 1 a.m. and at 3 a.m. Latwaba came in. I said, well, Latwaba, how about the baby? He looked at me so lovingly and sweetly and said, why, brother, the baby is all well. Jesus, do heal the baby. I said, the baby's well. Latwaba, take me to the baby at once. So we went to the baby. I took the little thing in my arms and came out of the hood praying, Lord, take every cursed thing out of my soul that keeps me be, believe, from believing the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd already had a healing ministry and he didn't believe, but this little man did. And I just loved that sentence which said, I did not have the faith for a broken neck but this man in a mud hut in a village did, and he didn't know the difference. So between 1915 and 1920 in Spokane, Washington, where, this, where um, the healing rooms were set up, the government statistics showed that it was the healthiest city in the world for five years because of this ministry. 200 people per day were being ministered to at the healing rooms, um, and most of them were non-church. And John G. Lake produced 1,250 preachers, trained up preachers, 625 congregations, and saw over 100,000 people give their life to Jesus. It's <laughs> pretty cool. And one of the things that was key in, in the revelation of understanding healing, as far as John G. Lake was concerned, and a couple of other of the revivalists that we've looked at, is a verse in Acts, Acts 10.38. Anybody know what Acts 10.38 is? Okay, it's, it's um, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth to um, go about um, preaching the good news, healing the sick and those oppressed of the devil. And he had this revelation that actually it wasn't God that was creating disease. It was the devil that was creating disease. And as soon as that set in his mind that it was actually all the devil's work, he didn't have a, he didn't have a, like a split mind as to should I pray for this person or not. It's like, yes, you should pray for that person because it's the devil's work that's causing the problem. God wants to heal them every time. Um, and that was a massive revelation for him and for others. Okay, uh, Dave. Please come. Please share. <laughs> run, run. Um, I've enjoyed doing the course, and uh, it's been quite hard for me to relate to. Um, a lot of the people, because I've looked very much at the times that they lived in and was, was quite conscious that it wasn't my time, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my culture and things like this. So I've struggled with it a bit, to be honest. Um, 
But I, I wanted to do it even though I wasn't sure what it was going to look like because I've been out of church for about a year. I mean, for those of you who won't know, um, we, we, we just retired from a cafe we had in, in Whitley Bay. And um, to build it up for our son who's taking it over, we started um, doing meals on Sunday. So we haven't been in church for a year. And it's very easy at that point for me to consider myself detached, not just semi-detached. And there's so much that you don't pick up on, that you're not part of, and all things like this. Um, and it, it, I tend to be a bit insular, not, not that most people would think that, but, and I, I find it quite easy to think I'm not necessarily fully part of it all. And I know that that's not God. And I know that actually that's not me. That's, you know, the, as we're talking about John D. Lake and the revelation that it was the devil's work. I know that it's the devil talking to me saying, you know, there's other people doing this, there's other people doing that. So I came along to be part of the course as much as anything. I thought I've got to make the effort to step in. I've got to make the effort to re-engage with people so much as anything else. And it's been great. It has been absolutely lovely to share and to listen and to know that making the effort was the right thing to do with God. And, and who knows which is the bit that God uses to move you on. It's all of a piece, isn't it? So my prayer life has improved. Um, my engagement with other things. Um, all different attitude change. You know, so all of a sudden I'm fully connected. And it's important because I know fine well that it's not about me. It's about, if God has given me anything, and I, I trust that he's given me many, many things, many gifts. We all have gifts. I truly believe that. So if he's given me gifts, it's not for me. It's that we all may be built up by the gifts that he's given each and every one of us. And it doesn't have to be the great project. It's the small word or it's the word of encouragement, or it's the little bit of understanding, whatever that might be. And I've seen that happening. And yesterday, we did um, the cafe. And the idea is that we, we just want to connect with one another, connect with people out there who may know God but not know God fully, who may not know God at all. And so, I mean... It, I mean, that's one of my gifts, I suppose. You know, I've got skills in how to do this, that, and the other. But I'm rubbish at believing that I'm, um, I connect with people very well. 
But this this um, couple of guys came in, and I was on the door greeting them. Not wholly reluctantly, but not wholly enthusiastically, because, you know, it, it's not a great thing for me. So I ended up speaking to him for a couple of hours. I mean, one was a Christian, and he's been, he's been uh, talking to his friend about the Lord and all this, that, and the other. But here's the thing. We had a great laugh. All I did was just be me. And this morning I prayed for him to become a Christian. So, for, from not being engaged at all, God has used me. How great is that? So good. So good. <laughs> so we just speak to anyone in this room that's just feeling disengaged and feeling like they're useless, that they haven't actually got very much that they can bring, and we just laugh at that lie right now. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, and we uh, invite you um, uh, to step out and to connect with people and to connect again with God and to, to realize that he loves to use you and for you to believe that your next testimony is going to be about someone uh, being healed, or somebody uh, being raised from the dead, somebody giving their life to Jesus. Um, uh, thank you that you love to use us, God, wherever we're at. And thank you for that testimony of lives transformed. Okay, the next person um, isn't Father Christmas or Charles Darwin. It is, in fact, a chap called John Alexander Dowie, who probably not many will have heard of, but he was born in Edinburgh, and he was such a significant influence on most of the other revivalists that we've looked at in the book. Um, he spent most of his time in America, actually, but he... Um, had this incredible apostolic anointing, incredible healing ministry set up, um, Bible schools, and in fact, John G. Lake studied at his Bible school, as well as some others who were linked, and the, the list goes on. Um, unfortunately, things went a little bit pear-shaped towards the end of his life. He, he really strayed away from God's calling on his life and went into other things that were a bit of a distraction. But we, we are still able to honor what God did in his life, um, despite some of the mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes, but we can always pick out gold from, uh, from, from the things that God's doing in other people's lives. So, John Wiggy, you're going to briefly say something. So, I picked Alexander, John Alexander Dowie to talk about uh, because I have a personal resonance. There's a, there's a frailty to him, not in a bad way, um, that really resonated with me, particularly in making mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. Um, but it's that God can still work through the cracks of our imperfections, particularly because it's usually those things that shine through most, because it's definitely God. God works through that best, I think. Um, he had a boldness and an ability to persist against an incredible amount of adversity. Um, that's from the clergy and the world. Someone actually planted a bomb on his desk, under his desk. Um, and the spirit had to speak to him three times, arise, go, arise, go, arise, go. Yeah, it sounds like something you'd have to say to me three times. Uh, he, went, and he went home and it went off, so he survived that. Um, 
as with many of them, he's quite a pioneer. Um, he, he brought about, well, I don't have a figure, there's millions. He brought millions and millions of people into a, re a personal revelation about Christ, which is incredible. Um, which is even more incredible to me because of the personal resonance I have with this frailty. I'm going to keep coming back to that. Um, particularly learning about the balance of being open to a correcting influence but not being influenced by the opinions of others, that was something that stuck out with me. I mean, I'm not trying to pick out the bad stuff. I'm saying despite these things, he did, he did incredible things. Um, one or two bizarre things, he became convinced he was Elijah, and this is a um, difference of character and gifting, that when he was actually goaded by the press saying, well, if you're Elijah, then maybe you can make it rain because it's been drought for eight months. So he prayed, and before the end of the service, um, well, it rained <laughs> a lot. Um, so one of the other things that stood out was hunger. Obviously, a lot of the generals, if not all of them, I've noticed, it was that hunger was a significant factor for them all. Um, and on a last note, just as a comparison of looking for the gold and how you could not, um, I actually looked at his Wikipedia page. It, it's pretty scathing. Um, which I think just goes to show how much God shone through the cracks. Yeah. Yeah, Lynn, do you want to come up? Um, and just on that note, um, ha, this guy here influenced John G. Lake. He spoke into John G. Lake's life and caused John to have that ministry that he did. And he, he also was a massive influence of the next guy that we're going to look at. Um, so, so, so his impact on the world is phenomenal. And yet he didn't finish well. And there's something about honoring <laughs> what, what we see God do without stumbling over how they finished. Smith Wigglesworth was not honored in his day, even though he was seeing phenomenal things happen. And I think there's a personal challenge to us as to how we choose to honor the people in front of us, the generals in this room who may be getting some stuff wrong, but I tell you what, God's loving to use them as well. And we need to call out the gold and what they are doing and celebrate the success that's going on in their life because there's something about that that helps us to, to, um, to receive the impartation from them. One, one of the things that struck me about most of these guys was that they were touched when they were very, very young. They, they were touched by the Holy Spirit at a very young age, and I'm talking maybe six or seven years of age. And I think that's a message to us, to, for our kids, to be totally soaked with the Holy Spirit. You know, I really believe that is really, really important. And the sooner you get that into them, the, I think it lasts. It's, it's, it's something that's put in them that really lasts. So that was one thing. Um, another thing was, was that these guys, their determination, and the, the, they constantly prayed and prayed. And I was reminded, my daughter has got very unruly hair, and she has this motto, um, you spray your hair with hairspray until you think you've 
got enough hairspray on, and then you spray it again. And this is what it is with prayer. You pray and you pray until you think you've prayed enough, and then you pray again. And uh, it's, I, I've always thought I was a bit of a rubbish prayer, and I've prayed more probably <laughs> in the last two months or so than I probably have done for ages. And there was a particular instance when I was praying with someone, and it was a, it was a difficult situation, and I thought, what would the generals do? And I took authority, as the generals would, and prayed with authority, and that person became a Christian. Now, <laughs> and the other thing is, these were very ordinary guys. They fell down, they picked themselves up again, and it would be hard to choose, you know, who I would like or best, who, which would be my favourite. You really cannot knock Smith Wigglesworth, you know, he was a great guy. But Catherine Coolman, you know, she was just such an ordinary woman. And, she, you know, she got into a, a situation that sh was a very shameful situation for her. But she, she got out of it again, and she didn't let that keep her down. So, you know, Catherine Coolman, she, she didn't let a bit of lust and bad press keep her down. She got over that. And in fact, that is Catherine Coleman. Um, there's actually a lot of stuff on YouTube about Catherine Coleman because she was later in years. You can see the time scale there, and because she had a radio and TV ministry as part of what what she was doing. She had a, uh, you know, like a, a global outreach, I suppose, through that. Um, because of that, there's quite a bit of footage of her on YouTube, and there's also some of the other more recent ones who had like TV and radio ministries that you can find some footage on as well. So um, she was an incredible woman at just hosting the presence of Holy Spirit in a room. So it wasn't that she would pray for someone and there'd be this dramatic healing necessarily. She would just be in the room and there'd be dramatic healings in the congregation as the worship was going on before she'd even preached, just because of who and what she carried into the room. She had this incredible intimacy with Holy Spirit. So, uh, Doug, please. Okay, yeah, could Doug and Irene come up for this one, please? Like other people have said, um, a lot of people in the book, they're just ordinary people that have made mistakes, so it's quite heartening to, to read that because, you know, you just think, well, there we go, we're in good company. And... Um, but I just loved this, um, I just loved the way she hosted the Holy Spirit and it just captured me and it just is uh, something that um, I'm pursuing and it's, just, it's that every day in the nitty gritty pursuing the Holy Spirit, not just when the days are good, you know, when the days are not so good and um, fellowshipping with them and just being at one with him and um and then in some of the areas that I'm moving into as well it's uh, hosting them and just I don't, I'm not going to start and do that thing or I'm not going to move in on that until you speak clearly and give me what you're giving me you know and and I can really say 
there's instances since I've read that and started to practice that whereby you get those like accelerations in your spirit and the heart pounding and somebody else says something then you realize that you know God's it's it's happening and you know and it just encourages you all the more to press in and to uh, well it does me anyhow and um, you know it's uh, so that that's what it is for me like what I, what I, uh, and it's it's not only life changing for you it's life changing for the people around you but what the holy spirit gives you you know it's for them you know that's uh, that's you know it's it's not a, a self thing you're seeking it for it's for them you know for whatever he's going to give you and that and it uh, it can be life changing for them you know so So, yeah, I, um, one thing that really struck me is how real she really was, of, of how passionate and um, of just how intimate she really was with God and the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, what you see is what you got. Um, yeah. So, Catherine's ministry at the beginning was really around um, salvation. Um, but people started to come down to that um for healing as well and she although she laid hands on people she she didn't really um know what to do so she started to attend some healing sort of ministries um from other revivalists and things but to be honest she was um quite disturbed by um some of the methods and some of the practices that they used um so she tried to um approach it in a more gentler way and um, encourage people to focus and concentrate on Jesus rather than the, the hype and the sensationalism of, of, um, of the healing itself. Um, so Catherine shifted the focus from an outward show of like the supernatural gifting um, back to the giver of, of the gifts, which is the Holy Spirit. Um, and she placed more emphasis on on the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, she she just um, started to um, surrender her life to the Holy Spirit, and um, she she would just be in constant prayer and dialogue and fellowship with the Spirit, and um, she would just wait there until the you know God's presence just fell on her before she would actually go out onto the stage. Um, so. And she just, um, she, there's a quote that I think is amazing. And she said, I died a thousand deaths before each service. So she just surrendered her life to, to God and, and, and just allowed the Holy Spirit to just, um, to just come upon her. So, wow. So she, she manifested the power of the Holy Spirit in her life. And she remained, like, really committed and, and submitted to God. So... Uh, whatever she did and what, wherever she went, she just carried this presence. Uh, and many said that, uh, you know, atmospheres changed when she went into a building. So, yeah, and and what started to happen was many people started to get healed. Um, it just be it by being in her presence. 
um, and just being sitting quietly in the audience. So there was, there was no sort of like loud demonstrations, no calling of God, but just in the quietness of his presence. And I think, um, yeah, I, I just want to be in that place. Yeah, of just um, being able to just um, surrender my life um, and, and, and let the Holy Spirit just, um, just do what, what he wants and have his way, <laughs> basically. So it's just given me a lot of inspiration and, and that's where I want to strive to, really. So, yeah. I actually, I want to go after this in a minute. We're going to hear one, one more revivalist because I just want to spend a, uh, a few minutes at the end of this just honouring Holy Spirit's presence and asking for him to come and seeing what, what he wants to do in the room. <laughs> so I'm giving you a heads up with that. And I'm, I pray, God, just as we've been listening about Catherine Coleman, that there'd be an intimacy with you that's just stirring in our hearts, that we choose in this moment that God, that's what we want. Just as Doug said, that he, there's an everydayness about his choices now of just honoring you. I pray that we would make a choice now to just want a deeper intimacy with you, Holy Spirit. We're going to hear about one more revivalist and then we're just going to press into that. <laughs> okay, so... This final person for tonight, anyway. It's a guy called William Seymour, um, uh, a black man born into a very poor family, but he kind of bucked the trend of zero expectation on people who were born into that kind of family, and he became um, one of the, the catalysts of the Azusa Street revival in Los Angeles. He was actually uh, mentored by a guy called Charles Parham, and Charles Parham studied under Alexander Dowie. So again, we see this link of how God has interlinked and influenced each of the people that are connected together. Um, there was incredible stuff went on in Azusa Street. It was almost like on the back of the Welsh Revival, even though it's different countries. Um, incredible um, Pentecostal um, explosion, really. And, uh, and it influenced the world in a number of different ways. So we celebrate this man and, and what God did in him. And, uh, and Jackie's just going to come and share. Jackie, do you want to come up? Um, and she's just going to share some stuff, which isn't specifically about Seymour, but is a bit more general. And she's running. Thank you. That's the thing with being last. Everybody said what you're going to say. <laughs> Seriously. Um, the thing that struck me, uh, it, it's a bit what Lynn said. It was, a, it was, it was about that all kind of were at the age of a young age, when actually they didn't just accept Jesus into his heart. They actually encountered Jesus, they encountered the Holy Spirit, they encountered God, and it was that that then made them seek and hunger and thirst for more. And so that was a, a big thing that hit me, and, and you know, we have young generals here, you know, take time to nurture them. Take time to go upstairs and learn with them and, and learn from them. And not just learn with them, learn from them. Because our kids are the next generals. We are the next generals. But we have so much to give these kids and they have so much to give us. Um, so that was the first thing. The other thing was the amount of people that poo-pooed all the 
you know, the, the Holy Spirit and, and the manifestation of the spirits. And, and we do that. We, we, we do it without even thinking about it. You know, oh, that's not real. I, I was brought up brethren, and it just wasn't for now. It's not for now. And, you know, the, the more people tell you that, the more you start to believe it. And it's not. It's not true. It's not true. What the generals back then have got, we've got. And we've got the insight to know that we've got it. They didn't at that time. So don't lose it. Don't poo-poo it. Don't kind of say that's not for now or that's not. It's real. It's real. And it's real. And that you've got as much of Jesus in you as they had. So use it. So can I invite you to stand, find some space? Just your mark and then you can lie on the floor. <laughs> you know, every week that we've done the God's Generals, we've um, spent at least half an hour just praying <laughs> and just pressing in for more. And uh, each one of these guys that have shared tonight sharing on the back of, of um, having, having chosen to press in, God's changed them and done something in their lives, has shown them something and has created a hunger in them for more of God. And I just want to release all the guys that have shared tonight, I just want to release you to walk around this room and to, um, to pray for people, to, to pray that same, um, that hunger that's been stirred in you, God, would you release it in, in people here tonight? Uh, if that's what you want. <laughs> and Holy Spirit, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've shown us through the years. Thank you for, for history that speaks of a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you are all powerful. That you are all loving. That you are all good. And that you want to see all sickness go. That you want to see people come to know you. That you want to see cities transformed and nations come and turn and bow the ne their knee to Jesus. Ah. So we're just going to spend some time honouring you, Holy Spirit. We honour what you've done through history and we honour your presence in this room tonight. Thank you that you... Um, <sighs> You're that seal, that this deposit in us, guaranteeing who we are, that we can be one with you, Holy Spirit, that there's an anointing available for us tonight to know your love, yes, but to know the power of God <laughs> in this room. Hmm. We honor you, Holy Spirit. One of the things that William Seymour went after was, was just that baptism in the Holy Spirit and, and a release of tongues as, as people were baptized. And I just want to invite you to, to just begin to speak in tongues.
God, thank you that you have baptized us with your Holy Spirit. We ask for more tonight. We ask for a release, a fresh outpouring of you, Holy Spirit. A fresh baptism of you, Holy Spirit. A fresh anointing of you, Holy Spirit. We love your presence. Would you come and shake us again to, to know you more? Would you stir us up, God, with a deeper intimacy with you for what to want you more in our lives? while you're pressing in for more um, I felt God, God highlight somebody earlier on in, in the worship and that's um, there was kind of like a pain in the right um, either breast or lung depending on whether you're male or female I don't know which um, if that's you please make your way to the, the front and, and just grab someone to pray with you uh, God wants to deal with whatever that whether it was a fear issue or whether it was a like fear of what that might be or whether it's actually a, um, a definite physical thing that's there God wants to deal with that. The other thing was the, the back of the, the neck on the right-hand side, sort of going up to the ear, almost causing pain in the ear. Um, so again, what God wants to, to deal with that. So, um, yeah, thank you, Holy Spirit. And, and if your feet are hot as well, if, you've got, if your feet are warm, feel like, this, that, like you're f there's fire around your feet, or actually there's something actually wrong with your feet, just come f to the front as well. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in this room right now. <laughs> hmm. We just ask for more. Fresh fire of God. Come. Hmm. God, we want to see 200 people a day, non-church people, healed every day so that this region becomes the healthiest region in the world. <laughs> God, we want to see a hundred thousand salvations. In, I want to see that in my lifetime, God. I want to see more and more people come to know you. Thank you, God. Thank you for the, for the salvations we've seen recently in this church. People giving their lives to you, Jesus. And we ask for more, God. We ask that more, more and more people would come to know you and you would use us to show them who you are. And we pray for a holy boldness, just like when Peter was um, thrown into prison and he was told to not speak of Jesus any longer. 
there was a there was a boldness that went he went back to his disciples and they prayed and the holy spirit fell and they went out and even more courageously speaking about who jesus is and i pray right now god that there'd be even more boldness for us this week that we would feel courage rise up in us and we'd step out beyond fear and we would uh, we would begin to speak about the wonders that we would begin to declare healing that we would begin to see kingdom of god come whoops So, Father, I bless you for what you're doing in this room, and I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the space to honor what it is that you've done. Thank you for the testimonies, God, that have been released. And I pray that we'd never be the same. I pray that this church would know fresh outpouring, that we'd know a revival fire, God, that's been blown on so that this region could come to know you. Ha. Ha. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And I, I, I just want to say uh, a release, uh, intimacy in your, as you sleep uh, tonight in your dreams this week, that you would encounter him afresh, that you would, you would see things afresh in the, in your, as you read the Bible, that he would be speaking to you and showing you things that are stirring your heart. God, thank you. Thank you for stirring intimacy in this room. And I bless your week. <laughs> every single thing that you do, every, every uh, member of your family that you represent, I bless. Uh, and I'm excited about what he's going to do through you. <laughs>